Our Father in heaven, we've been blessed by beautiful music. We have been encouraged and inspired. We are grateful tonight for your presence. And we pray that you would speak to us through your word. We are happy. The Sabbath is coming. We are glad. The resounding chorus of amens told me that everyone here is glad. We are, Lord, we are grateful. We are thankful that there is a God who is the potter of our relationship. We can say we are merely the clay. We are grateful you are creator and through Christ, redeemer. Lord, would you speak to us tonight? So that when we leave this place, as the day dies slowly in the west, we will be able to say we have been in the presence of God. Bless us now, please. We ask you not because we deserve it, but because you are merciful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. World War II, unfortunately, provides us with many lessons, many illustrations. It is natural that it should. That kind of conflict on that kind of scale when humanity was putting behind itself the really rather primitive methods of warfare utilized in World War I, was learning to embrace the far more advanced and far more deadly means of destruction that World War II afforded. Tanks had been used in World War I, but they were kind of slow and kind of primitive. By World War II, they, more far, they were far more advanced and therefore far more deadly. Aircraft by World War II were far more sophisticated and therefore more lethal than they had ever been. Radar was first used in warfare in World War II. Aircraft carriers were now being used. They were the most important ships in any navy. And of course, the weaponry, the weapons themselves, were unlike anything that had heretofore been used on a battlefield. Exhibit A was the atomic bomb, which claimed the lives of roughly 200 and 50 millions of people, sorry, I'll say that again, roughly 250,000 of people, there's a big difference in only two Japanese cities. Someone famously said, war is hell. That someone was General Sherman, the man who was responsible, the man who gave the order for the burning of Atlanta during the Civil War. If anyone should know, he should know. But after a war has been fought, we celebrate the gallant, we lionize the courageous, and we honor the intrepid. And certain warriors take a special place in the annals of human history. One such group of warriors was the 28th Battalion, known as the Maori Battalion, part of the 2nd New Zealand Division, the fighting arm of the 2nd New Zealand Expeditionary Force during World War II. I'm not expecting that you know much about the Maori Battalion, but that's 
why we're discussing this tonight. It was a frontline infantry unit made up of volunteers, of course, volunteers comprising 700 to 750, maybe a touch more, touch less men, divided into five companies. It was the most decorated New Zealand battalion of World War II. Like the other infantry battalions, the Maori battalion was divided into five companies. Four rifle companies of about 125 men each and a headquarters company of around, around 200 men. The battalion's four rifle companies, creatively named A, B, C, and D, were organized along tribal lines. The Maori were and still are the indigenous people of New Zealand, a native people. So the four rifle companies divided along roughly at least tribal lines, while the headquarters company, HQ Company, was drawn from all over Maoridom, tribal affiliation was not a consideration. In the words of Lieutenant General Bernard Freiburg, who commanded the 2nd New Zealand Division, no infantry battalion had a more distinguished record or saw more fighting or, alas, had such heavy casualties as the Maori battalion, which fought in such places as Greece, Crete, North Africa and Italy. It is recorded that General Rommel, Germany's Desert Fox, considered New Zealanders to be the finest troops on the Allied side. They fought, they said, for God, King, and country. Rommel's chief of staff said, Give me the Maori battalion and I will conquer the world. Something set these men apart. Perhaps it is what was recorded in their rallying cry, or perhaps it was the, the intent, the expression, the meaning of its rallying cry. Ake, ake, kia, kaha, e. Upward, upward, be strong. Some translation might say, be strong always, or ever be strong. Kia kaha. Those words were contained in the Maori battalion song, Kia kaha. It was their, their motto, their rallying cry, Kia kaha. Be strong, always be strong, no matter what. Be resolute and be strong. Their motto has become part of the fabric of New Zealand culture today. After a tragedy, people are encouraged, kia kaha, when somebody is about to enter into a sporting contest, it is not uncommon, yea, verily, it is common that somebody will say to that person, kia kaha, be strong. If you are entering into some arena, not necessarily sporting, some place where you must give your best, somebody will say to you more than likely, kia kaha, be strong. There are schools, high schools, that have taken those words as their school motto. You will see it on the school crest, the monogram with the crest. Those words will say, Kia kaha, be strong always, ever be strong. You must give of your best always, and so we encourage you with these words. Kia kaha, always be strong. For those who have studied World War II, it is said that the name Takrauna, Takrauna, Takruna, 
evokes memories of some of the bloodiest hand-to-hand fighting in all of the Desert War. Takruna was a 650 feet tall or 650 feet high rock fortress in the Sahel region of Tunisia, right there in North Africa. It was held in 1943 by German and Italian troops. How do you take it? It's a 650 feet high fortress. If you were to see a picture of it, you would say, that thing could not possibly be taken. Surely not. It was important because that thing blocked the advance of the eight armies drive towards Tunis, capital of Tunisia, which is about 45 miles in a straight line from Takrona. On the night of April 19 in 1943, a handful of B Company men, led by Sergeant Hane Manahi, scaled a sheer cliff. A sheer, they scaled it. This thing was buzzing. It was crawling with enemy soldiers. We wouldn't call them enemies today, but enemies in terms of warfare then. But Sergeant Manahi scaled a sheer cliff. Others of his followers reached the summit too. And after three days of desperate fighting, Takruna was taken. Kiakaha, Kiakahahane, Kiakaha. Manahe then left to find reinforcements. He came back with a section of C Company and another platoon and successfully pushed back the Axis counterattack. Manahe and his men took 300 prisoners over that time. A British lieutenant general described what Manahe did as the most gallant feat of arms I witnessed in the course of the entire war. Kiakaha, ever be strong, always be strong. This concept of strength will get you places in warfare. And we have to remember that we, God's people, are involved in a combat, in a warfare. Paul described the Christian endeavor as being like a war. Here we are on the eve of a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. And God is looking for people who are prepared to be strong. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24 and verse 13, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. You might hear Jesus saying, kaha in those words. Uh, the word he used in the Greek was hupomeno. And you'll find a word in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12 that's very closely related to that word. It springs from the same root word. You read in Revelation 14 and verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. That word is connected to the word endurance in Revelation 24, uh, 24 and verse 13. Hupomone, here is the patience, the steadfastness, the constancy, the endurance of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Right there is that concept of grabbing hold and not letting go. Right there is the thought that we accept the task, stand up to it, march forward unflinchingly. Kiaka. It is said in Romans chapter 4 and verse 20 that Abraham was strong. Strong he was. The Bible says Abraham was strong 
Now, the Greek word used there is connected directly to the word used in Romans 1 and verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You know, you've heard it a hundred times. That Greek word is dunamis, from which we get dynamite. And Abraham is said to have had dynamite faith, which is fascinating. I know, I may be wondering a little bit, but it's fascinating because this man was so strong in faith that he slept with his wife's servant and told a certain man named Abimelech that his wife was actually his sister. But here we are told the truth. Abraham was strong in faith. God is looking for strength. And I'm guessing that what this indicates to us is that God is slightly less concerned with how you start the race than he is with how you finish the race. Because you are going to bumble, you are going to stumble, you are going to make mistakes, you are not always going to get it right, but you can finish strong. You can hear God say to you today, Kia Kaha, Scripture's testimony of Abraham is this, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. This was an impossibility, Abraham and his wife were confronted with. This was not a man of an age where you would naturally think he would father a child. And Sarah was ready to admit, I am way past that. The Bible says her womb was dead. However, the Word of God says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Romans continues. Listen to this. Listen to this strong kiakaha faith. Listen to this. And being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, and so I'm going to run at that again, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised God was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Abraham's faith was strong, and he was strong in faith when he believed that God was able to do those things that God said he would do. You can see where we are going with this, I am sure. Paul encouraged Timothy to be strong. Be strong, Timothy, Kiakaha. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The Bible says to us in 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 11, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. And writing to the church at Ephesus, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we need to draw a line, and then maybe we'll erase the line and walk on. The Bible is encouraging us to be strong. There's no question about that. Time of trouble will not be a time for wimps. It just won't. Christianity is not for the weak need. It is not for those whose hearts flutter at the merest thing. Christianity is for the strong because we are up against a particularly potent and powerful enemy who happens to be at the top of his game. I want you to think about what the Bible promises is coming to Christians everywhere. There will be a time when the world will array itself against those who cling to biblical values and a biblical faith. How you gonna be then? Jeremiah asked the question, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, 
Then how will you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace wherein you trusted they wearied thee, then how are you going to be in the swelling of the Jordan? Somebody once wrote that typically you can, you can uh, 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 what's that word, not contemplate, you can, you know when you think about it ahead of time, what's that word? Anticipate, that's it, thank you. If I can keep you on retainer for the rest of the sermon, I would appreciate that immensely. <clears throat> Ordinarily, you can anticipate how bad something's going to be. When the weather forecaster says, we're going to have a rain tomorrow, you know what that's going to be like. When somebody says war broke out in the Middle East, you can sort of know what that's going to be like because we've seen it a thousand times. But we have been told, even though you can ordinarily anticipate what trouble is going to be like when it comes, you cannot anticipate this. You cannot even imagine that. How shall we stand in that great day? In Revelation chapter 6, the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? Can you imagine? Well, we have been told, and we'll come back to that again and again. I want you, though, to think about the great people of the Bible, the strong people of the Bible. If I was to talk to you about somebody who in the Bible was strong, you would say, oh, you must be thinking of? Sure. And his wife came to him and said, will you tell me the, to this day? I do not know why he caved and actually told her the secret when she betrayed him so many times, but this was a man who was not prone to always making good decisions. By the way, you know it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Last time Samson is mentioned in the Bible is in which chapter? Hebrews chapter 11, the roll call of the faithful. That's the hall of faith right there. And there's Samson. But Samson was a strong man, strong enough to carry away the gates of a city, strong enough to kill a thousand men using nothing but the jawbone of an ass. This man was strong. But you know something? He was not strong. You might say he was strong enough to push down two pillars and bring down a heathen temple and bring about the deaths of so many individuals. But no, no, no. Samuel's story tells us that he was strong because God was working in him. Strength wasn't in his hair. Strength was in his fidelity to God and his willingness to be used by God for God's glory. And in that circumstance, Samson had strength about him, not his own, but the strength of God. There he was about to push down those pillars, and he could hear a voice somewhere saying, Samson, kiakaha, give it plenty. Push for all your work. You can do this, Samson. You can do this one last time. Kiakaha, and God's strength flowed through his spiritual veins one more time. Why is this? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. David, a kid, carried some provisions down there for his brothers. What do you want, you smart Alec? We know you've just come down here to witness the battle. What's going on? There is a giant who comes out to defy us. A giant. I have heard all kinds of people make all kinds of excuses for Goliath. Oh, he suffered from some problem, gigantism. And as a result, he could hardly think straight, couldn't see straight. Helmet was down over his head. His vision was blocked. Don't you give me that nonsense. If David had beaten up some fellow who was disabled, 
This would be a story that brings shame, not pride. There was Goliath, the best they had. And when you're talking about the Philistines, then you know that Goliath had to be good. Send somebody out. I'll feed them to the vultures. Bring the best you got. If Saul figured this fella out there was dealing with some physical disability or inability or restriction, he'd have roamed out there and taken Goliath off at the knees. But he didn't. These people were terrified. And out comes David. What in the world? You give me some stones and a sling. I will take care of this fellow. Really, wear my armor. I don't need that. I got God on my side. Don't be telling me, oh, David was so good because he'd been practicing with the slingshot. He was a kid, and this was the best an opposing army could bring with his armor bearer. And so David collected five stones. And I'm going to cut you off before you tell me that those five stones were one for Goliath and four for his brothers. Oh, come on, man, we believe some old wives' tales, don't we? I'll tell you who those other four were for. If it was you and you took down Goliath, you would be expecting the enemy army to rush towards you. And David knew that if he was going to go down, he'd go down swinging. He'd take down Goliath and at least four more. Armor bearer turned and fled. David had a stone in his pocket with the armor bearer's name written right on it. David goes out there and it takes a sling and it takes a stone and God is speaking courage to his heart. David, be strong. You can walk out into battle knowing that God is with you. And he swung that sling. And, and I'm, 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 some original words are coming to my mind. And one little stone went up in the air and a giant came tumbling down. Where do preachers get this stuff? Aren't they clever? David went out into battle in the strength of Almighty God. Goliath could have broken him in pieces and taken a bone and used it for a toothpick. But he didn't because David went forward in the strength of God. What do you think those stories are in the Bible for? To read to your children before bed? And aren't Christians funny creatures? Yes, Johnny. Samson married, essentially, a harlot. Don't ask. And he acted the fool. And ultimately, he killed himself. Sweet dreams. Huh. Funny old thing, isn't it? Yeah, and then Goliath went out there, and he... And he and I'd like you to think, Junior, about what a stone would do when it hits a man in the forehead enough to kill him. Oh, imagine that. And down he went. And you know how the story ends? He got Goliath's sword and chopped off his head. You know why those stories are in the Bible? So that God can finally convince you that what he did through David would do through you. And I'm not talking about taking down a, 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 a sissy like Goliath. There are far bigger giants in the land. Giants like pride. Giants like selfishness. Giants like lust. Giants like gossip. Giants like dishonesty. And God is telling you tonight that if a teenager like David can take down Goliath in the strength of God, God is saying to you, Kia kaha, 
be strong tonight because the same God that stood behind David in his battle will stand behind you and yours. The same God who miraculously infused Goliath with uh, Samson with strength, not Goliath, Samson with strength, will infuse you with his own strength because that's what happens when Jesus gets on the inside of you. David took down Goliath. Somebody might have said, what are you building your faith on? Are you living day to day thinking to yourself, like the lady, and I told this story before, but I would tell it again, who said to me one day after early service, God bless you, sister. Jesus is coming soon, I said, and she said, and I hope I'm ready. And I did not let go of her hand. I said, what did you say? She said, did I say something wrong? I said, yes, I think you did. She looked at me because I still had her hand, you know. About 80 years old. She said, am I in trouble, pastor? I said, I think you are. Come with me. I said to the next person in line, just wait, we won't be long. And I ushered her over about five or six or eight steps over to the other side of the little foyer that we, uh, right there. I said, did I hear you say, I hope I'm ready? She said, yes. Did I say something wrong? I said, yes. Let me ask you a question. Did you ever accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Well, yes, pastor, when I was a girl. Did you ever change your mind? No. Well, neither did he. Why are you hoping to go to heaven? You ought to be believing to go to heaven. You ought to know that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for you. And you don't want to go day to day saying, I hope I'm ready to go when Jesus comes back. That's not faith. And let me tell you what else it's not. It's not humility. I'll be at camp meetings. I could do it here, but I won't because I just outed myself. I'll be at camp meetings. How many people here today are willing to admit that they are converted? That guy back there. No, no, no. He's on the front row. And you know why he was on the front row? Because he was a Pentecostal once. And Pentecostals want to be up on the front row where they can feel it and they don't want to miss it and they want to be right in the heart of it. But I tell you what, they believe they're saved. <laughs> Hand up. And there's somebody back there. Amen. She said sweetly, former Southern Baptist. They know they're saved. 700 people. I got an amen. I got, I got a yes and an amen and a <clears throat> in the back. And everybody else is sitting there like, mm hmm. I don't even know what to say. And that's because we like to think, oh, I would hate to say I'm saved. Why would you hate to say you were saved? As I said, it's not humility. It's bad theology that prevents you from saying, I have the assurance of salvation. You've read the Bible. I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. Kia kaha. Be strong in the Lord. Don't be a wimpy Christian. Don't be a lily-livered Christian who doesn't even know whether he is saved or lost, whether she is going to heaven or hell. What sort of existence is that? Jesus died for you. So you can live with confidence today. Not confidence in yourself, confidence in Christ. Oh, but pastor, I have a sinful heart. I know you do. That's why you need Christ who does not have a sinful heart, and he will give you his righteousness, and now you will rejoice, and you will say, my hope is in the Lord. I am strong in the Lord. What are you building your faith upon? The wise man or woman, for that matter, builds his or her faith upon the rock 
that rock is Christ. Or if you're going to be true to the story, that rock is the sayings of Christ. And Christ says, he died for you. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he said in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong, act like men, be strong. He is saying, Kiakaha, as a matter of fact, a high school about 40 minutes away from where I grew up, has adopted, adopted many years ago, uh, uh, this, this is interesting, Kiakaha is their motto. But they took it, I read, from a longer uh, sentence that said, act like men, be strong. And they said, well, you know, we can't say act like men, be strong, because we have men and women in the school. And so we would just say, be strong. I'm not sure if they realized that the sentence they read was taken directly from the Bible. Acquit yourself like a strong person. Be strong. Kiakaha. That worked for the Maori battalion. It propelled them into battle, into the fierce gale of warfare. They were brave. They were feared. They performed their traditional haka, and the blood of the enemy curdled in the enemy veins. They announced that they were there to fight, that they would not be defeated. They were going to win, even if it cost them their lives. Kia kaha. That is the rallying cry for the believer. Strength. We need it. We are not far away from the most dramatic and drastic period in the history of the world. And we don't talk about that nearly as much as we should. And should we talk about it, we ought to talk about it in balance. But we are there. The sands of the hourglass and of time, the final sands, are about to pass through. This is no time to buckle at the knees. Martyrs would go to the stake in the Middle Ages. Their wives and their children would be forced to witness these terrible burnings. But their wives and children would often sing hymns to comfort their loved one when their loved one was giving his life. Can you imagine strength like that? You want to see strength? Come on, let's go to Daniel chapter 6, and we are going to see strength together. Daniel chapter 6. This is a story that ought to bless you every time you think about it. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no charge. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Can you imagine? Verse 4. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none, none. They could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was, what? Faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Envy is a terrible thing. The Bible says that the high priests delivered Christ to be crucified for envy. For envy they did this thing. And here were men who ought to have had more backbone. Envy was eating their insides out. They couldn't understand and they couldn't stand that a slave from a foreign country would be preferred before them. But this is what the blessing of God affords you, you understand. And so the Bible says, Then these men said, We shall not find any occasion against Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. 
because this brother is going to be faithful. He is going to be true. He is going to be strong no matter what. So let's figure this thing out. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king, and they said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the counselors, and the captains, all of them have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, except of you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, you understand something about the book of Daniel, don't you? The book of Daniel is a book of salvation. Now, if I say, Daniel, you're going to think 70 weeks, you're going to think 2,300 days, that's okay. But if all you think is mathematics, you are missing the key point. Now, the key point of those mathematics is Jesus. We must never forget that. But if you were to read the early salvos of the book of Daniel, you would read about a nasty piece of work named Nebuchadnezzar, the last person on earth that you would ever think would be saved. But as God worked through a young man who was surrendered to him, God reached the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. It was up and down and then down and down for Nebuchadnezzar. But ultimately, after seven years spent in a wilderness, Nebuchadnezzar came to his senses and he embraced the God of heaven. Daniel is a book of salvation, and you ought to say amen to that. Furthermore, the stories in the book of Daniel are really prophecies in disguise. Because what you read here in Daniel chapter 6 about envy and jealousy towards somebody who is faithful, what you read here about a religious law that is passed, what you read here about a penalty of death simply prefigures what you read in the book of Revelation, times that are shortly to come. And you may have said in your heart, how in the world can I stand then? You know the, the, the woman came to uh, Spurgeon. I think it was Spurgeon. may have been Moody, but it'll be Spurgeon tonight. And she came to Spurgeon. And she said, I don't believe that I have the faith necessary to be a martyr. And without missing a beat, he said, my good woman, I know that I don't have the faith necessary to be a martyr. And she looked just aghast. She said, well, if the great man Spurgeon doesn't have faith to be a martyr, what hope is there for me? He answered by saying, if God calls me to be a martyr, he will give me the faith that I need in order to be a martyr, and I believe he'll do it for you. We have nothing to fear for the future. Nothing. As long as we know God has been with us, God is with us, undoubtedly God will be with us. Read your future here in Daniel and chapter 6. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. And King Darius was sucked in. He should have spoken to Daniel and said, you are the number one man. What do you think of all of this? But he signed the writing and the decree. I wonder what we would do if that was us in Daniel's shoes. We would pray our hearts out, I'm sure. We'd go home and turn the lights out, pull the curtains, walk into the closet. We can find space in there. Shut the door, kneel down, and say, God, you can count on me to be faithful. Not Daniel. 
Daniel's faith is remarkable. And, and I wonder if we can isolate the key of this man's faith. They wrote the law. They announced the law. It was known to Daniel, but all Daniel could hear was a voice behind him saying, Kiakaha, be strong. Always be strong. Kiakaha, Daniel. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he knew. He understood the law. He understood what it meant. He understood the ramifications of this decree. He went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. Now, he picked the right room. If he had prayed facing in the direction of Babylon, they might have thought that he was praying to the great Babylonian god of the temple of Marduk down there. Daniel wasn't simply praying. He was praying and letting people know. He was demonstrating his faith. I do not want you to be misled in any way, Daniel was saying. I am praying, all right, and I am praying to the God of heaven. His windows were open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees. Now, some of us, we will sit down in a lazy boy recliner, close our eyes, and pray silently. Not Daniel. On his knees, the spies are watching. What do you think he could be doing? Only one thing. Get your phone out. Record this. You fool. It's 600 B.C. We don't have cell phones yet. Tell the artist to draw faster. Okay, remember what he's doing. Hard to forget. There's Daniel on his knees. There he is. Not once. The king might have said he forgot. Not twice. The king might have said maybe they're extenuating circumstances. Three times a day. And he prayed and he gave thanks before his God. God is looking for people who will be modern-day Daniels. You know the old song, Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. And God is wondering today if there is a Daniel in the house. If there is someone who, when faced with the loss of everything, is prepared to say, I'd rather have Jesus than anything else. That was Daniel. I'd rather be faithful than otherwise. His three friends back there in Daniel chapter 3, they said, O king, we believe that our God is able to deliver us from out of the fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down and worship that thing. There is no way in the world. Those young men were strong, strong in faith, strong in their belief that God was God. What part of this do you not understand? When you confront a situation in your life today, are you forgetting that God opened up the Red Sea? Are you forgetting that God sent 10 plagues back there in Egypt? Are you forgetting that when there was no food in a desert, God blanketed the ground? That was miraculous. Are you forgetting that when there was a need of hydration, God caused water to flow from a rock? Are you forgetting? Are you forgetting that when God inundated the world, water, the world with water, an ark had been prepared and God's people were safe and safe? Why would we forget the faithfulness of God? He is with us today and He will be with us then. Come on and say amen tonight. God is faithful. 
only faithful. It's all he can be. It's not possible for God to be unfaithful to you. It shouldn't matter to you whether life goes this way or that way, as long as you have purposed in your heart that God's will is paramount. And as long as he is glorified, that's your concern. That's all. The world is looking around for a demonstration of what it means to actually live. And they will see that in the people of God who live for Jesus. What was it that enabled Daniel to be so steadfast, to have such strength, to be able to live out the motto of the Maori battalion, Kia Kaha, ever be strong. His life was on the line, and that king would shed his blood without even thinking twice. Daniel went home to his chamber, kneeled on his knees. Windows were open, did it three times a day, and he prayed, and he gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. In other words, just like he always did. Daniel was in the habit of faithfulness. Daniel was in the habit of prayer. Not to pray would have been for Daniel like not to breathe. It's what he did. And circumstances and threats and death decrees made no difference to Daniel because paramount in his life was the glory of God. What's paramount in your life? It's one thing to go to church, but really stop and think, is the glory of God what is paramount to you? And, 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 and you must not be thinking tonight, oh, well, listen, there's no point in me thinking about this because I am so weak. Here we go. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We're going back now to Ephesians and chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Are you understanding me? In the power of his might. Verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 6 says, Put on the whole armor of who? God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle instead against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We have got a fight on our hands. And the enemy is mighty. Yet God says, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of what? Righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the what? The gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of what? Salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the, tell me, Word of God. Where do you get any or all of those things from? You don't conjure them up. You can't go to your workshop and make yourself a breastplate and a sword and say, I'm in good shape. These are things you can only receive from God. And God says to you, it is a war out there. And as you wade into the theater of battle, you go forward in my strength and know that I am with you. God says, Kia Kaha, always be strong. You can be because you're relying on God's strength and not your own. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I recall there was a terrible earthquake in Turkey. It may have been in the 1990s. It was across the Sea of Marmara from Istanbul in the town of 
mm, in a town, and there was a terrible earthquake. Buildings came down. Thousands, I think it was, of people died. It was an absolute disaster. And you know what they discovered? They discovered that a certain man who was involved in the building industry, whose companies had built many of these residential buildings, he had gone on the cheap. You know, you can make concrete go a whole lot further if you use less rock and more sand. And they found as they waded through, as they trudged through, as they clambered through the ruins of those buildings, that the concrete that was used would crumble in their hands. It would never stand up in an earthquake. It was too weak because it wasn't made of the right stuff. What's your faith made of? Let it be made of, of, of absolute trust and reliance and a steadfast belief in the fact, the fact now, that God is God and He's able to do what He says He can do. 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7. This is for, this is for the weak one. Oh, that would be us. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And so Paul writes, understandably, for this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is, tell me, sufficient for thee. For my strength is made what? Perfect in what? Weakness. You know, don't you, that God cannot even save the strong. The healthy got no need for a doctor. And so if tonight you can find even an iota of weakness within yourself, then you are the person that God sent Jesus to save. If you were to say tonight, I'm just so weak, I hardly know which way to go, then you can know tonight, God says to you, his strength is made perfect in what? In weakness. All God asks us to do is bring our weakness to Him. And it's then that we are strong. The servant of the Lord said that Solomon was never stronger than when he said, I am just a little child. I don't know how to go out and I don't know how to come in. It's when we rely on God that suddenly there is an invincibility about your life. You cannot be taken down by sin or temptation or the devil or anything when your life and God's life are blended up together and God has you by the heart. Paul wrote, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Imagine that. In reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, can you see yourself being strong under those circumstances? You know, the Maori battalion, when they ran into battle, the one thing they did not have was faith in God. I'm not saying they were irreligious. But their motto, Kia Kaha, did not contemplate leaning on God. It contemplated drawing on every last ounce of, 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 and reserve of inner strength, of giving your all, of spending and being spent. For us, it's ever so slightly different. We are coming into a warfare that we cannot possibly win. And God says, you can be as weak as you want, but when you are united to the, with the strength of divinity, 
It is then that you are truly strong. Jehoshaphat prayed a prayer in 2 Chronicles 20, and he said, God, we're going to be done here. We cannot win here, but our eyes are upon you. And by the time things were over, the enemy armies had turned on each other. And all Jehoshaphat and his men had to do was wander through the graveyard of bodies and take the spoil. That's all they had to do. God won the battle for them. When we lean on God, as weak as we might be, God will win the battle for us. A mother wrote to me, literally, just a couple of days ago, and she said, uh, I heard a sermon you preached. You said that God provided a job for your father-in-law when your father-in-law lost his job owing to his faith. She said, my son lost his job for his faith, and he's been without work ever since. You can feel her pain, can you not? My advice to her was, Kiakaha, be strong. I wrote to her and I said, it seems to me that you have concluded, concluded already that God has finished, that God has done. He's not done. I can't explain to anybody why somebody goes without a job for a day or a week or a month or a year or two years. But there is somebody in heaven who knows. And you can afford to hang in with God and know that he is still behind you, still with you, yea, verily, still in you. You don't want to give up on God. Why would you give up? Why would you give up? Why would you walk away? Why would you taste and see that the Lord is good? Why would you drink from the well of salvation? Why would you, why would you believe in God and rejoice in God and ride on the high places of the earth and then one day say, I'm done, I'm giving up, I'm walking away? No, no, no. Be strong in the Lord. And if you don't feel like you got strength, just tell God, I'm weak. Take me, make me yours, do your thing in my life. God's looking for a people who will stand, who will stand, who won't see problems in the church and get their nose so out of joint that they walk away in a huff, look for another, another version of the denomination and say, well, I'll go there because they are purer somehow. Not sure how they can be purer when after all they left, but that's how some people think. I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to have a church in my house because the people at church, they're too hypocritical. They're too faithless. Hey, let me ask you what your children see when we're not around. I'm telling you what they see. They see a faithless hypocrite. You're not as perfect as you think you are. Don't wander off. Don't get so discouraged that you leave and walk out the door. Hang in there. Hang on to God. Kiakaha. Be strong in the Lord. Don't let the devil drag you down. Went to visit a man who was dying, really dying. He had been a key member of a congregation where I was the pastor. He called me up. He said, Pastor, I know you're in town. Would you come around and anoint me? Yes, of course. So I went, and the pastor went, and the head elder was there, and his daughter was there, and my wife was there, and I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm okay. I said, you're feeling all right. He said, all that matters to me is that my sins are forgiven and that I'm ready to meet Jesus. How about that? Now, that's strength. Oh, no, no, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying if you're terminally ill that you can't have a bad day or a bad moment. I'm sure my friend had plenty of those. But friend, no matter what's happening to you, God is still God. 
God is still faithful. You don't want to give up. You don't want to walk out. You don't want to backslide. You don't want to turn away. Kia kaha. Be strong. And if you're weak, be like Paul. It's when I am weak that I am strong because I believe in a strong God, a good God, a great God, a mighty God, a God who is able. Come on and say amen. He's able. I don't know what you're facing tonight, but I do know that if you're facing it in the strength of God, you are going to be okay because God will see you through. He will. He was with you once. He's still with you. He never left you. Even when you left, it's like the story of the prodigal son. It was the holy, you know, these people, they tell prodigal son story. Oh, the prodigal son wandered off and God just waited back on the family farm hoping he would come home. If that's God, ah, I don't want that God. What you're telling me is that if you wander off, God waits, just waits. Ah, Maybe you'll come back. Maybe you'll come back. No, 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 no. You read the story. The young man came to himself, right? He didn't come to himself as an, oh, I've got a great idea. The Holy Spirit tracked him down. The Holy Spirit followed him. The Holy Spirit walked through the muck of that pigsty and plopped himself down on a stump next to the young boy and said, boy, go home. Your father will accept you. Ah, I've got an idea. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of God. You wander from God and the Spirit of God will wander right after you. He'll pursue you. He will follow you. He'll be right on your heels and he will plead with you to come home. Oh, friend, don't give up on God now. Don't give up on the church now. Don't give up on faith now. Don't quit reading your Bible now. God is real and he is strong no matter how weak you get. You have not sinned away the Holy Spirit of God. You've not gone too far. You're not so bad you can't be saved. Jesus died to save people like you and me. And when we say, yes, Lord, I choose salvation, your weakness and God's strength have been united and the two are made one. You are God's child. Your name is written in heaven's books. Jesus is planning on coming back for you. There is hope for you tonight. Seeing then, the writer wrote, that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Because we don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come how? Tell me. Boldly to the throne of what? Grace. That we may obtain, tell me, mercy and grace to help in time of need. Someone referred to the Christian walk as a battle and a march. It can be that way. I'm not telling you it's a slog. I don't mean that. There are days like that, aren't there? Sure there are. If you say no, you're lying. Of course there are days like that. Christ has given us no assurance that to attain perfection of character is an easy matter. A noble all-round character is not inherited. It does not come to us by accident. A noble character is earned by individual efforts. Don't misunderstand that. Through the merits and grace of Christ, God gives the talents, the powers of the mind. We form the character. Listen, it is formed by hard, stern battles with self. Conflict after conflict must be raged. This is, this is war language that we're reading here. Conflict after conflict must be waged against hereditary tendencies. We shall have to criticize ourselves closely 
and allow not one unfavorable trait to remain uncorrected. Now, if I've got you good and discouraged right now, hold fast. Listen to this. Let no one say I cannot remedy my defects of character. If you come to this decision, you will certainly fail of obtaining everlasting life. The impossibility lies in your own will. If you will not, then you cannot overcome. The real difficulty arises from the corruption of an unsanctified heart and an unwillingness to submit to the control of God. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Whatever is to be done at His command may be accomplished in His strength. All His biddings are enablings. Are you encouraged tonight? My friend, God is good. He's great. He is strong. He is mighty to save. He is powerful. And He wants to be powerful in our collective life tonight. He wants to be powerful in our congregations. He wants to be powerful in our families. He wants to make a success out of failing marriages. He wants to, make pu- he wants to bring purity out of a failed, corrupt heart. He wants to bring victory where there has been failure. Let God do it. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Jesus is coming back soon. This is no time to turn back. It's time to press on. Kia kaha. Ever be strong. Kia kaha. Can you say amen tonight? Come on, we're going to pray. Pray with me now. Our Father in heaven, give us your grace, Lord, that we may always be strong. Strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Leaning on Jesus, clothed in his righteousness. Heavenly Father, if you take our weakness and unite it with your strength, then we will experience strength indeed. Make our heart your fortress. Make our life your dwelling place. Make our mind your mind. Clothe us in the righteousness of Jesus. Root out all of the sin and selfishness and garbage that affects and inflicts us so that when Jesus comes back, We'll be found standing on the circle of the earth saying, This is our God. We have waited for Him, and He will save us. Let that day come soon, we pray. In Jesus' name, please join me in saying, Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.